welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the creative people of Austin, Texas. My intention is to have conversations that are meaningful, inspiring, and in-depth, with the goal of making a connection first with the person I'm interviewing, hopefully adding value to their life and career, and then sharing that content with the local community and potentially anyone in the world. Please share any feedback you have and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find the podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you're listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. And if you are finding value in these interviews, there are a few ways you can support me and the weekly production of the podcast that are listed on the support page of the website. Source Material is a collaboration between artists William T. Carson and Rebecca Rothfuss Harrell, conceived of and hosted by Troy Campa, the owner and curator of Kamiba Art here in Austin. Turns out that each artist was a big fan of the others and jumped at the chance to work together. But to what extent would they collaborate? Would their individual work just hang side by side, or would they create pieces together? They ended up influencing and supporting each other quite a bit through the process of preparing the exhibition, and the results are really wonderful. Have a listen and please visit Kamiba Art Gallery to see the work in person until August 11th, 2018. And check out each artist's other work on their websites listed in the show notes. Here is Rebecca and William. Welcome, Rebecca and William, to my podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so I'm here with Rebecca Rothfuss Harrell and William T. Carson, and we're at Kamiba Art Gallery. It's run by Troy Campa and Renee, and we're here because Rebecca and William currently have a joint exhibition of their work where they collaborated to create the work. But first, before we talk about the collaboration, I'd like to talk to each one of you about your kind of history of art and your of being an artist and your work. So we'll start with William. I know you grew up in Montana on a cattle ranch, and mm-hmm. you said in your, your uh, I like this, you said in your statement, you said, the best existence in that isolated place was to spend time alone in the landscape creating art. Maybe tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was born um, in Sheridan, Wyoming, actually, which is just a little ways from Bernie, Montana, um, where my parents have a cattle ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I think setting the scene for for that place helps give some context for that quote. Um, so Bernie's a town of about 20 people. Oh, wow. It's a one-road town with yeah. the post office, a church, and a school. Mm-hmm. And I grew up about 10 miles outside of that little town. Okay. <laughs> and the, the closest place to uh, get groceries is about an hour drive mm-hmm. over gravel roads. And there's really nothing around there um, yeah. other than cattle ranches um, and also coal mines. Right. Um, which is kind of uh, setting the scene for uh, why I create the artwork that I create. Right. Um so my my family um, has a cattle ranch there, but it's actually so remote that there aren't really any high schools close enough to go to. The closest high school is about a two-hour drive. Mm. Wow. So we ended up moving from there uh, when my older brother 
was going to go to high school. We moved from there when I was five. We moved to Kansas, and I lived in Kansas from when I was five until I was 10. At that point, we moved to Lopez Island in Washington State. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that's where I went through middle school and high school. Throughout that time that I was living on Lopez Island, we would always go back to Montana. My dad was still running cattle on the ranch, and so he'd spend about half of his year on the ranch and half of his year with us. Um, So in making work about that place and about Montana, um, I think part of what I'm trying to do, and this is something that I've been thinking about recently actually, is attempting to connect to this place that has really been my parents' home for the majority of their lives. And for my two older brothers, it's where they grew up and have this strong connection. So making work about that place, for me, is is kind of attempting to create my own strong connection to it and kind of understand that landscape a little better um, through making work about that place. So do you feel like because you kind of left at the age of five, you didn't have as much experience there as you would have liked, so you kind of are going back, revisiting it, trying to get more experience from there? I think so. I think that's a, a great way to um, look at it, and it's something that I didn't really understand when I first started um, working with coal, but in the time that I've been working with it over the last three and a half years or so, uh, it's something that I've been realizing. The reason that I started working with coal was that when I was a senior in college at Colorado College, I was studying studio art and chose to... Uh, write a grant and take some time off of school to go up to Montana and study coal development there. Hmm. Our ranch is on the northern edge of the Powder River Basin, which is actually the most um, productive coal mining region in the United States. Coal development there is a really hotly debated issue, and it's something that my parents have been engaged with um, since they moved there when they were in their 20s. It was an issue that I had always kind of seen from a distance and I'd seen the coal mines and known people who had worked in coal mines been intrigued with just the appearance of them from an aesthetic point of view Mm -hmm. Um, seeing this black material come up from the earth in an area that is really rolling plains and ponderosa pine creates this really intense contrast in this black substance coming up and seeing people manipulate the landscape and form it into really sculptural forms. Mm -hmm. And so from a young age, I've been intrigued, but didn't really engage with coal as as a substance or have a very intimate connection with it until the senior year of college. And I decided I wanted to really get to know this material Mm -hmm. and get to know my parents and my family and this place better through engaging with it by taking some time off and going up there to study coal development. At the time, Arch Coal was planning to build a massive new strip mine about 10 mm-hmm. miles from our ranch. It was going to be the largest strip mine in the lower 48. And then they were planning to build railroad lines to connect that new coal mine to existing rail lines in Coal Strip, Montana. And these new this new railroad was going to go right through all this beautiful ranch land, farmland, land that's owned by the Northern Cheyenne and also an Amish community that's in that area. So I was um, intrigued to go up there and and 
talk to people about what was going on and see this place and witness it um, and spend time in it. What I ended up doing was uh, my dad and I uh, took a horse packing trip where we rode from our ranch to the proposed site of the new mine and then we followed the 90 mile stretch where they were planning to build this new railroad. We camped out along the way and had the most amazing trip. That sounds uh, wonderful. <laughs> it, it was it was amazing. I'd never done any horse packing before, mm. um, but my, my father's been working with horses his whole life. So it was a great chance to connect with him. Yeah. And it was uh, right when there was that polar vortex in 2014. I don't know if you remember that, but I definitely do because we yeah. were camping out in like negative 15 degree Whoa. weather. Uh, it was super chilly, um, but it was a wonderful time to um, meet people along the way and talk to them about this new development that was planned to take place. And mm-hmm. some folks were adamantly against it because it's an area that's beautiful because it's so quiet, remote, and mm-hmm. gorgeous. There's no paved roads. It's just yeah. you know barbed wire fences, and that's about it. Um, but other folks, you know, really were excited about the idea of bringing new life into the area. Um, so I, I wanted to go in without um, too much of my own political leanings influencing what was going to happen, just trying to listen to people and understand what their points of view are. And um, I hope that in making work using coal, which is a, a very political thing, that people can approach the work in a similar fashion, to approach coal just in kind of a mode of listening and a mode of observation and a chance to see the material in a new way and just kind of see it in a raw form. Mm-hmm. Um, so those that experience up in Montana on that horse packing trip led me to start creating artwork just with the raw material of coal. And I started playing around with it um, in my studio as a student. Mm-hmm. My thesis work at Colorado College was an exhibit of Um, some coal work that was uh, sort of the foundation for some of the work that I'm doing now. And in the three years that I've been working with it, it's, it's been about just playing with the material and seeing what I can do with it, pushing and pulling on it, trying to manipulate it to do something and realizing that it wants to do something else and listening to that. So it's been about um, building up a relationship with that material that's really what I kind of feel is the core of my creative process is about building a relationship with the material and through that, hoping to offer a chance for other people to build a new relationship with Cole. I'm wondering though, have you always thought of yourself as an artist? I mean, when was, how far would we go back to where you thought I'm an artist or you you were just creating art? I was always drawing. I love to draw. My folks still have a lot of my early drawings up in their house in Montana. Oh, yeah. And there are all these like really silly scenes of our whole family on little horses that look exactly like the little people in the drawings. And <laughs> um, I, we used to take all these big uh, road trips. My mom doesn't fly, so we drove all around the country. And whenever we were dri- driving, I would be drawing. Hmm. The drawing's been um, sort of one of my go-to habits and just ways of passing time and understanding things. And that's always been uh, important to me. And then in 
in high school and college, I um, was still interested in art, but I never would have thought that I would pursue it to the extent that I am now. Yeah, I was um, interested in architecture and specifically looking at kind of green design, sustainable architecture, um, learning more about that field. Did that feel like more of a practical choice? Was that a consideration? It, it felt, um, yeah, it felt practical. It felt like um, a path that had kind of a clear trajectory. I'm very lucky to have grown up in a family that's very supportive of making art and experiencing that, but I don't really come from a community of you know, people who make their living uh, right. making art. I never really considered it as as a profession, but more as something that I would kind of do and could hone and then maybe apply to other things in my life. Um, but once I, I went to Colorado College and started taking these art courses, hmm. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the community that you build around making art and talking about artwork and the way that talking about art allows you to talk about life and what's important in life and it's a lens to connect with someone to sort of provide this spark to then understand them on a level that it might take a while to get to uh, through another avenue well I guess uh, let's let's go back to coal since that's kind of the uh, main subject of your work I did some reading about coal it's so interesting that you know, it's composed primarily of carbon, which is the fourth most abundant element in the universe by mass. Well, and it's a common element in all of known life. Hmm. You know, second most abundant element in the human body by mass. Mm-hmm. It just when I read that, I was just like, I wonder why more people don't use coal <laughs> to make <laughs> artwork or something. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. like it's pretty amazing material. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and I like that you're trying to inspire someone viewing your work to maybe rethink or reframe their relationship to coal and maybe other of Earth's natural resources. Um, so what has what do you feel like coal has taught you? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I wonder that <laughs> at times when I'm when it's late at night and I'm in my studio, which is at my the carport at the house that yeah. I rent here in Austin. In, you know, it'll be two in the morning and I'm covered in coal. I'm just like totally filthy and I'm, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in there and I'm, I, you know, I pull away for a second and I think like, you know, how strange life is that it leads you just kind of step by step to some path where here I am spending so much of my time with this material yeah, and spending all of that time getting to know it. Yeah, maybe describe some of your works generally so, so people could maybe, that are mm-hmm. just listening, could try to imagine what you're doing. Yeah, um, it's a process that's grown out of an initial quest to create some paint using coal. I started by grinding up the coal that I'd brought back from Montana and taking that coal dust, mixing it with gum arabic, to create essentially a watercolor paint. And slowly but surely, these watercolors became more and more textural and heavier and heavier. And then it was like, okay, doing watercolor on paper is not really making sense anymore. So I started creating um, these textural paintings on wood panels. 
And that process involves uh, taking the coal, grinding it up in a blender, and then (laughs) mixing that coal dust to create a paint. And then I will build up forms along the edge of a wooden panel. And then the process is um, almost like uh, pouring concrete or something like that, where I have these forms along the edge, pour the wet material in, and then I will place the dry stones in. So at that point, um, I've spent a lot of time beforehand preparing and sorting all of this coal. Mm. So a lot of my time is spent doing that, just sorting the coal by size and kind of getting to know it by just looking at it and sorting it and touching it and feeling it. And then the actual painting process is almost treating those individual stones as a tile and laying it down and creating something like a textural mosaic. And through that process, what I think I've been trying to teach myself or what what actually um, to... That's not really accurate. What really I think the coal is teaching me and this process has taught me is about commitment to something. So the paintings that I'm doing are really not much like an oil painting or anything at all where you can touch up an area and go over it. Through Because of the process, it's sort of a one and done. You spend all of this time leading up to this moment of creating the painting, and then it happens, um, almost like a performance. Hmm. And once the stones are placed down, they're not moving. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. And so I have to live with whatever the outcome is. Yeah. And there's this moment of creating the painting, and because the glue is drying and the adhesive is drying, I have to be present. I have to be there mm. with it. I can't second-guess myself. I'm a person who has a tendency to want to overthink decisions and second-guess myself at times. I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like everybody can. And, and so this has been a great chance to say, okay, this piece is going here, this stone is going here, this composition is going to look this way and I have to commit to it and believe in it and create it and I can't be too up in my head about it I have to Mm. stay present be decisive be decisive exactly and then I let the painting dry for a couple days and put it up on a wall and it's it's a bit of a surprise (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's a good surprise sometimes it's not yeah it's a bad surprise all right that's um Kind of a long, a long form way to come about yeah. to your question of what coal has taught me. That's, I think, at the core of it. Yeah. Well, I think we should give Rebecca a chance to talk. We'll get her story. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's. I didn't say this at the beginning, but I, I, I find it very interesting. Your common interests, uh, you know, the natural world, geology, natural materials, the environment. I can. It's so obvious to me now. Like learning more about the two of you, why this show happened and what you know so mm-hmm. um so rebecca tell me how you got your start as an artist if you have any memories of that as early as you can I go i do um well when i was horsebacking no I'm just kidding. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing story i haven't heard this was great for me to hear too um when i was growing up i grew up in pittsburgh pennsylvania um very different than william um it has great museums. It's got, you know, we learn about Andy Warhol in school, and yeah. there are these legacies that you have to, you always have in the back of your mind. 
but I took art classes, Saturday morning art classes at the Carnegie from, I think, fourth grade on, maybe even third grade. Mm. I have distinct memories from those years. That was something I did through up through high school, learned all kinds of things from welding to printmaking, and it was a fantastic program. Just a survey of every type of art that you could yeah. do. Yeah, and it was taught by artists, and you were in the museum, and I mean, I remember just sketching the big dinosaur toes, and then we did a print of them and embossing of your drawing, and it, it wow. had really great experiences there. I didn't realize until actually now that I teach art, I didn't realize that that was a really unique thing, unique way of growing up, having mm. this exposure to art and feeling like, oh, I can make art. Because I teach ki- some kids that think, no, this, I can't do this. This is not something I do. This is not, we don't do this at my house. I'm like, what? This is, I did this all the time. So yeah. I, I obviously grew up in a house that supported that, those interests. My sister is a fantastic artist as well. She's, she's great at rendering almost anything. And so she and I both took those classes in elementary through high school. What do you think inspired your parents to establish that for you too? Both my parents appreciate fine art and decorative objects and antiques were a big part of my household growing up as well, but in that they're, they're interesting objects Mm-hmm. as well as their sometimes their history within the family. My mom collected things. My grandparent, my mom's grandparents were big collectors of antiques, and so that was something that she grew up with. I remember the sugar shaker collection. My mom still has it all yeah. on the top of her cabinets, and she had a collection of old-fashioned rug beaters that hung above where we fed the cat out of an antique bin that you mm-hmm. know it's just our house we had a pie safe and just being surrounded by those objects that were interesting and had a history so there was never really any discouragement of potentially being an artist as a career in well, your life so my <laughs> my poor parents um <laughs> my father um he loves fine art and he always took us to the museum and he's a, a real lover of art visual art and all kinds of art but he is um in the medical field okay <laughs> he is a physician or yeah so he was probably pretty surprised when he got two teachers <laughs> and another my younger sister has done a, a variety of different careers and they definitely came with this idea of you need a practical okay. job not not in a mean way um but you know this is great this supplements what you're doing but right. let's think about how this can be applied to real life um, <laughs> real life yeah which is leads to um me going to college i'd gotten into two schools one a very much more academic much more conventionally understood four-year school great program and then I also got into the School of the Art Institute of Chicago Hmm. which is a great school as well I'm not it's not that one was in the other (laughs) yeah but um, upon accepting at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago every time I said something to someone in Pittsburgh the very next question was is that a four-year college because we had the Art Institute of Pittsburgh which is like a more commercial art so it became a joke with my dad and I he'd say oh Rebecca's going to and we'd look at each other and we'd go one two and then (laughs) someone would say is that a four-year college 
And so that was became our joke. And then um, sort of the joke was on me when you know I grew up going to public schools, then a private um, college prep school, rigorous academics, real uh, overachiever mm. here. Want to know how I can do better? How I can fix that? You know, what do I need to do to ABC? Went to the orientation at the School of the Art Institute. My dad goes into the parent orientation. I go into the kid orientation or the student orientation. We walk around, da, da, da. At lunch, my dad and I meet back up, and he says, so how was it? I said, it was great. At this point, I'm going to this school. I'm, this is orientation as I'm starting school. Yeah. And he said, yeah, you know, it was really interesting. They, it's really crazy. They, they explained the whole no grade thing. I, I think I understand it more. And I was like, what? We don't have grades? Um, I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want my dad to know that I didn't know, but it's a pass-fail system, or it was when I went there. Yeah. And for me, the overachiever, suddenly, I was, well, what does a pass mean? What does a fail mean? That's a yeah. really big swath right. of... I need some feedback. Inf- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so going to the Art Institute was a really interesting exercise for me in starting off as very, you know, needing this... I actually requested grades. You can request grades. Oh, yeah. You couldn't just relax that. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Well, and but I think it was it was good for me because it taught me, you know, okay, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine. And then in like the end of my sophomore, junior year, I started to almost ex- not exploit the pass-fail, but I started to do projects that were across several departments. And all the departments accepted that I was doing this body of work across these different like printmaking, I showed them what I was doing in sculpture as well. And because it was thematically connected and it was this supportive network of, oh, well, clearly you're working in a direction. Then suddenly pass-fail was like, yes, okay, I get it. This is how I need to be working as a real artist. And everyone works at a different pace. And, you know, just because I'm not in here every Friday night before crit until 1 a.m. doesn't mean I'm not trying my hardest I'm just pacing myself differently and you know so it it was a huge learning experience and I am who I am because of it you know whether or not Mm. I don't regret going back I wouldn't say I want to go back and change my decision it just would have been totally different had I not had that and I was in a big city had to get my own apartment and live on my own you know they only had a one dorm at the time and so it was a, I, it's also when I became an adult in my own, became myself, I guess, my adult self. Yeah. And could someone, or could we see the origins of your current work in the work that you did in school? Or? Absolutely not. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> not. <laughs> um, but it was a good way to sort of sum it up. My thesis show for undergrad was I replicated a classroom with a chalkboard and it said, I'm feeling, and then I had um, the alphabet around the room with all these different multicolor screen prints um, about all the things basically kids feel that they can't convey or mm. or that we say, oh, that's not important. And I also did placemats that had kids doing all these bad things and, you know, like the placemats that teach you manners, but these are, you know, the wrong things to do and um, very much based in um, education and how we teach children things were not supposed to by our actions Hmm. so that was uh, education has always been an interest of mine and then i worked in various nonprofits in chicago and went out to la and worked 
at a school out there in their development department. But I've started to look around and realize, you know what, I think I like this whole teaching thing. I don't want to be doing development. I want to be doing what those teachers are doing. So I had already deferred to go to grad school for art education. And so I decided, no, no, this is really what I want to do and took off and went to get my master's in art education in Boston. So I don't have an official master's of fine arts. Um, I have a master's of master's in art education. So then also in the process, I had completely dropped making work about education and turned to more sort of landscape based work. So flip-flopped. Yeah. And you're still teaching? <laughs> I am still teaching. Okay, I yes. didn't know that about you. Yeah. All yeah. right. K through five art. Very nice. I'm wondering, I read something on your website. You said, or actually, well, here's a question for you. Describe being awestruck by evolving landscapes and open spaces. Mm. Describe being awestruck. What does that mean? So, well, I did just experience this on my trip. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that inspires your work, right? Right. Kind of- so I think when it really hit me, so I lived in Pittsburgh, which is, we lived in the city, um, but there are rivers and hills and uh, landscape didn't really weigh on me. It was actually more the infrastructure of Pittsburgh that I noticed more. But going to Chicago, these big buildings, and then LA, busy city, coming to Texas, I was hit by how big the skies are. Just how open everything was and you know I just kept thinking the skies are big in Texas like it you can just see so much and it's huge you can see a storm coming yeah and then um as time has gone on I've been out in West Texas quite a bit my husband and I go out there quite a bit and that just being able to see endless amounts of land and you feel like oh I see what our original settlers here had to face and that feeling of you're so small and this is so big these things are so big from so far away these mountains are visible Mm -hmm. they must be really really big it's like looking at the stars yes yeah 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 so that that kind of that awe that you had that feeling of kind of like something you hadn't really experienced or seen like that that influences the work that you do now right Mm -hmm, definitely which are kind of like abstracted landscapes Mm -hmm. right and that's another thing and i think some of your earlier work though you did do some pieces about like cell and radio towers Mm -hmm. and i thought that was interesting that you were kind of talking about rapid growth over development and technological changes occurring across the country which is Mm -hmm kind of similar to William. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the coal mines. It's like this constant tension between man and nature. Mm -hmm. So maybe, yeah, maybe describe your work that you're doing now or kind of where you see that having evolved from to now. I can link it back to that same, the move to Texas. Um, So as I was looking around at these big skies and just noticing things about this new place I lived, I asked some people, so, hey, what are those big blinking lights over when you cross the Lamar Bridge? And people had crazy stories about, oh, they're old dysfunctional radio towers. They're, I don't, that's like, no, someone said they climbed up that tower. Like, people had stories about these cell towers, the radio towers. Then other people would be like, I don't, what towers are you talking about? The giant ones that are blinking? Like, you know, those ones that are in your face. So I I started, as I was driving around, started taking pictures of all these cell towers that I would notice. And I realized they're made to be not paid attention to, but they're these huge, obvious structures that to me are 
pretty interesting in in a lot of ways that they're highly contested or they're you know yeah people have my grandparents had a cell tower going up and they were fighting it and they floated the balloon and we can see it we're going to see the cell tower you know before they build it they show you here's a balloon for where it's going to go um but the person who has their land being leased is making a decent money if if they have a farm or if they have a land that they can't support just with Mm-hmm. cattle or you know there are these ways that people are supplementing their income in order to keep their land and right. allowing cell towers to be on them is one of one of the ways and actually when I was first moved to Austin I lived in a building there was an old boys and girls club um, behind Congress at Crockett and there was a gigantic cell tower on the top of it <laughs> and whether or not that weighed in on me. I was more fascinated by all the other cell towers I saw, but probably looking at that helped as well. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at that almost every day. So I was interested in looking at things that you're not supposed to see or that maybe are considered ugly by some people, but give the sense of, you know, futuristic or energy or where are we going and is this good, is it bad? So I did cell towers, variations on cell towers for about seven years. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. And at some point started to kind of drop out the cells, cell towers actually became less obvious in the imagery. And I became more interested in these lines and rays and the idea of sort of sun future, like these abstracted concepts. It's very vague. Mm-hmm. It was a short transition. So I was yeah. kind of playing. And then I thought, hey, I kind of like these minerals, these rocks and kept it to myself for a little bit, was drawing these little mineral specimens I had found. And at some point I said to my husband, now husband, I said, well, I kind of want to draw rocks, like (laughs) crystals. And he was like, don't say that out loud. So (laughs) it felt a little kind of new agey as I said it, um, which is not the angle I'm coming from. Um, So I think that's where he he kind of... I've never thought new age looking at your Well... You should, you should sit in my studio when people come through um, oh, okay. for East. Half are New Age, half are... <laughs> no, a third are New Age, a third are rock hounds, and then a third are just the general art viewing public. Oh, okay. It's kind of... Interesting. They hone in on me. Um, yeah. I've had people call me up and, and want to talk about rocks after East. Oh, so. okay. Anyways, um, so in this transition, I, I said, well, I kind of like rocks. You know, I want to do this. They almost feel like little worlds. And so I started collecting a couple... And I was doing pretty realistic renderings of them at first, and then took the the things I liked about the cell tower, that other abstract imagery, and started kind of smooshing it together with the minerals. And it has definitely evolved over time, become more, even more abstract, I think. And to me, it's much looser, but a lot of people would look at it and say it's very... um, Precise. Yes. So, I mean, maybe for someone that's listening, how would you describe your work, like visually if they were to try to imagine it i tell people the easiest way to think about it is imagine if you were an ant crawling on a geode or a small mineral and you saw this world that you were walking in and that's essentially the the very basic version of what i'm doing so taking a very almost like a diagram of a mineral structure blowing it up so it's larger and then using gouache which is a very uh, matte opaque material and gradient using graphite making gradients um, to kind of push and pull a sense of space so that mineral structure becomes kind of the architecture that then I 
I push and pull to make it feel, you know, is that moving backwards? Is it moving forwards? Is this a, a space you could walk on? Is it a building? Yeah, you're playing with the kind of the micro-macro mm-hmm. perception. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we should get into this collaboration. So how did that come about? Well, I had admired Rebecca's work. I think I've probably seen your work before I had even met you um, at the gallery here at Kamiba Art Gallery. And I really admired the precision and craft mm-hmm. with which Rebecca was building things. That was one of the first things that jumped out to me was like, this is this is someone who really pays attention to yeah. the details. Like you do. Um, which, yeah, I was, I was blown away. I was like, oh, just the precision of her graphite lines and like the, the sharpness and the, the attention, the care, yeah. really, is what it comes down to, is, is care. Mm-hmm. Um, was something that struck me. And then when Troy Campa approached me and proposed the idea of this two-person show with Rebecca, um, whose work I'd already been in love with, I was like, oh, absolutely, you know, sign me up. Yeah. Um, so really it was uh, Troy coming to me and proposing this idea of a two-person show. From there we had a couple meetings to sort of kick things off and then followed that up with a few meetings just between the two of us to talk about our work, what we were working on, um, share some of our process, you know, things that were working, things that weren't. Um, and it's not even simply just like, here, I'll show my work next to your work. You guys actually collaborated on pieces in a sense or traded materials or kind of influenced each other's typical work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll say that I started out some very similar um, where I love William's work and I'm floored by it. Um, so Similarly, when this idea was brought to me, I was like, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think when we first met, we weren't sure how it was going to play out. When the three of us met, it, uh, there were kind of a few different avenues. You know, when you say it's a two-person show, it, I guess typically you think of it as piece next to piece. But yeah. we all talked about, well, we could find common materials or could figure out a way for it to overlap more. Yeah, when we started talking, I kind of got excited, <laughs> maybe a little e- o- overly eager. <laughs> when, as soon as the concept was given to me, I was like, yes, okay, I want to look at coal, I want to look at this, I want to look at that. So I, I actually started kind of playing with concepts of using black and white and incorporating, looking at coal as, a, as the, it's not a mineral, but as the source imagery. And then we met and talked about specific materials and I showed him a little bit of what I had been doing and just kind of took off from there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd been excited about the idea of starting to work with some other materials. I'd been working with coal for some time and thought, you know, it could be nice to to branch out and explore introducing some other materials to provide some contrast and context to give the coal something to react to. And Rebecca mentioned an interest in several different minerals, and specifically mica jumped out as a material that was really intriguing and exciting. And I was curious to start working with mica as a material that's so shiny and sparkly and kind of, you know, beautiful and Mm -hmm. just gorgeous and has this real, like, elegance to it. And in terms of how it relates to coal, it seems like they couldn't, you know, be coming from more divergent places where coal is seen as something filthy and industrial 
dark and you know mm-hmm. something that you would never really want to like touch mica is used in makeup and something that uh you know provides this gorgeous kind of luster yeah effect um rebecca so. what made you suggest that so i came up with um actually have my little sheet here um oh. i came up with mica barite and dolomite with and i was specifically drawn to mica but all of those are used in some sort used in construction or um drilling and so i was it's funny i was looking at it from a totally different perspective thinking okay what coal is about destroying our world Jeez, oh, <laughs> not that bad but <laughs> drilling and i was thinking like coal oil and so some of these some of the things are used to make a mud that actually kind of help in dr- the drilling process yeah but um you weren't looking for beauty <laughs> no well and i i do like the muscovite form all three of them have really interesting forms but micah has probably the most interesting form of them all so i i was especially interested in that but yeah it's just it's really industrial uses like joint compound and um, that drilling mud and Mm. just wanting to kind of breach that divide a little bit with how i perceived what coal means to me i guess or what i thought of when i looked at his work do you feel like you've actually been able to as William has intended to rethink and reframe your view or your relationship with Cole through this work? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just looking at his artwork makes you... Yeah. I mean, I, it wasn't even this show. It's just looking at his amazing artwork is, wow, this is beautiful. <laughs> I think you don't, in its context where it's creating this black patch in a big, beautiful world, you, you may not see that beauty, but the way he manipulates the material... It's incredibly beautiful. So that was actually uh, maybe a little bit of a like, oh, I don't want to mess up because look at how beautiful he makes the coal. <laughs> so when I did use coal as source imagery, I think I, I did it with a little trepidation because I know it's being put side by side with these actual chunks of coal. Mm. And what did you, how did you influence? How did I Because you were kind of trading or how, uh, ideas or, or how was my work materials? influenced by her? Well, just the work in the show. Right. Um, one of the things that I really loved about Rebecca's work um, in viewing it is this um, ambiguity in the scale of the work. Mm-hmm. And when you're viewing it, it'll transform kind of before your eyes. Sometimes you feel like that ant that Rebecca mentioned kind of crawling through this massive uh, landscape. Um, but then other times... I would see it as a tiny, you know, minute little detail of a of a geologic drawing, mm-hmm. um, and in some ways, seeing it as her work being very organic, you know, inspired by minerals, naturally occurring materials, and at the same time, also looking like something constructed, something very much uh, human made. Yeah, that's a definitely a theme in Rebecca's work. It's something natural, but it seems like it's been engineered and it's foreign to nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so I wanted to try and incorporate some of those ideas and incorporate some of that ambiguity in my own work because I saw how impactful it was as a viewer in Rebecca's work and wanting to kind of create a connection there. Mm-hmm. So some of these coal paintings are attempting to mimic that scale shift where something can resemble say, a map or a model of a large landscape, but could also be seen as maybe a little patch of ground, you know, next to a mine or 
a little part of a riverbank, something along those lines. And then through our meetings, actually, it was wonderful to be able to spend this time with Rebecca and learn from her, learn from an artist with so much experience and expertise and knowledge. So it was wonderful to be able to have these meetings and say, like, oh, I'm really, you know, hitting my head against the wall here. What what can I do? What, yeah. what ideas do you have? How can I think about this problem differently? And so I see many places in the paintings where ideas that Rebecca introduced to me influenced the work. For example, the painting over there titled This Land, I'd had this conversation with Rebecca where she was talking about wanting to remove this horizon line that she'd seen in a lot of her own work. Mm. And so then using that lens, I started looking at my own work and seeing I had these like subjects in every painting. And I thought, okay, I want to try and take a, a note out of her book and create a painting that has no subject and is just a field. So it was, it really occurred on so many different levels, I guess, um, throughout the collaboration. So I was lucky to be able to spend that time with her. Yeah. Are there any other examples uh, of some that similar kind of a effect that she had on a piece or a thought process that you shifted for yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I can, I can jump in. I'll give you a second to think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can jump in and say I, there's a specific meeting that we had where I think it was supposed to be an hour and like four, four hours later. <laughs> yeah, <not laughs> I'm like, good. oh, wait, I have things to do today. Um, but... It was that was a really cool conversation to have because it, it's not like we were sitting and making things next to each other. We were just kind of talking about process, and that it's funny that that thing about not having a horizon line stuck out because it's almost saying it out loud to someone and having a nod and a agreement was like yes, okay, it's okay, mm-hmm. and it's or you know the, is that too easy? Is is this idea that I have just too simple, or is it? so simple it's awesome you know yeah right (laughs) and um and William was great about sort of asking questions and saying you know are you what do you think about this when you do when you are going through the process and it really made me step back and think I don't talk about the insecurities as much as I mean I talk about it to my husband or probably too much to Troy <laughs> about my work, but being able to turn to another artist and say, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I've got these three pieces and who knows what the next piece is going to look yeah. like. And it was also interesting because I kind of front loaded what I did. I had a bunch of little pieces and had been talking with William and working through ideas. And then we had this one really long meeting and then I had to go and make a bunch of big pieces and, he never saw them until the slides came in, but I can see that in the really big pieces, there's three, that I was looking at, you know, not just looking at his work as monochromatic, but sort of that how the mica and the coal all have these tone on tone, depending on the way you're looking at it, and really subtle variations where most of my work historically has been kind of bright and bright blues, bright greens, and more jarring combinations and I really went in thinking, oh, I want this to be really soft and subtle. It's still bright, but (laughs) um, there's a certain amount that I'm always myself. But to me, that was a huge change that happened after that conversation. Mm -hmm. And and just, you know, William actually pulled out his bit of mica and was turning it. And we were talking about layering pieces and how it changes color and so then when I went back home and was looking at all my source images, I was like, oh, yeah, that is that is what I like about this also. Not just the shape, but the color component 
It just makes me want to collaborate with someone. (laughs) (laughs) It just sounds awesome. Well, and I think, at least from my perspective, and I'll let William say his, but, um, you know, sitting down initially, it was, you know, you could just have a show side by side. You could um, incorporate a similar material or kind of respond to one another, or you could do something together. And I think that when I, I hear collaboration, I think of that making something together, which is really scary to me <laughs> you're like in the same room doing yes something and to a piece. and not only is it logistically difficult to to make happen but if you don't have a working relationship with someone i mean it would be fun but i don't know that i'd want it to be a big piece for a show um not that <laughs> we can try it anytime <laughs> um but that's the next show um but I think this was a great happy medium where we didn't have to give up anything. We only gained something by mm. exchanging materials. It's not like yeah, I had to hand it over to him and he scraped off half the colors and yeah, threw right. some, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and there were so many ideas out there, I think, in the process that didn't come to fruition that, you know, maybe those will work their way in later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And having that chance for me in the collaboration, one of the things that I enjoyed so much was having the chance to have someone to talk to about some of these, you know, insecurities and these, these moments of doubt, um, that we, that we talked about. Um, I had been working a full-time job previously at a company here called Twyla and had actually done a little bit of work with Rebecca through that, um, Mm -hmm. I left that job at the end of January, and so this period of time has been sort of my first um, chunk of time just focusing all of my energy and effort on making artwork, which has been super exciting Congratulations. and That's enthralling, awesome. but also terrifying and mm-hmm. um, you know full of uh, surprises and moments of, of doubt. And so having Rebecca as someone that I could talk to and lean on and um, be able to say, Hey, is this? <laughs> yeah, right. Does, does this feeling go away? Does this feeling change? You know, what what have you learned about these ideas? And being able to speak to someone with that experience and knowledge was just such an incredible uh, resource for me. And I tricked him the whole time. No, <laughs> Made him think I had experience. No, no, no. I'm a mentor. Um, I know everything. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Actually, one one time I, I had a message from William and I called back and I, he said, hey. And I said, so um, I'm feeling a little stressed out. And in his cool, calm way, he's like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, like, oh. I'm freaking out. So, it, I mean, it went both ways for sure. It's not, by no means was I completely put together. So Yeah. So that probably never goes away, does it? <laughs> not for me. I don't, I, but I think it's one of those, well, I would say, I guess not because, you know, I see all, um, steal like an artist. He has that graph of, this is great. This is the best. This is horrible. This is awful. I should just tear it up. This is the greatest thing. I mean, that's pretty much my roller coaster of yeah. of the art making process. Right. And I don't know if it if it has to go away, but I think through this, it felt good to say it doesn't have to go away. But I can connect with other people about that feeling, and yeah. it makes it um, makes it feel okay. It makes it take some of the weight off. You're not alone, and it's not going to last forever, right? right? Right. I think some people don't show that. Um, they may feel it, but they don't show that. We were pretty candid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably best. <laughs> <laughs>
maybe if each one of you could just tell me what you're going to take away from this experience and maybe just a little bit about what you have coming up in the future. Okay, I'll go first. Um, (laughs) I actually very specifically, having looked at all of these minerals and doing this series with using mica with William, I actually got really interested in this idea of things that are used in construction. And I am using the other minerals in some upcoming work in a actually a really large scale mural in downtown Austin that actually is responding to nature and man-made buildings. And so it, it carried out immediately after. Hmm. Oh yeah, this is, look around, we have all these buildings and they're, they're made with all these materials that I was just looking at, you know, for this totally different purpose. So that's a direct link um, to to this show. And I think just keeping in mind, not getting so pigeonholed into my own way of thinking or way of making and finding opportunities to sit down and talk with people, more of a, not necessarily a critique, but I, I have done crit groups here in Austin, small scale, but maybe encouraging me to kind of bring that up again and make it happen, be more proactive about sitting with someone and talking about my work in a very informal setting. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost inspires me to think in terms of like, or recommend that people like, you know, if there's a person in your art community that you want to collaborate with, maybe just reach out to them, even if they you're intimidated mm-hmm. by their stature or their experience or whatever. Maybe you could just start spending time with them and talk to them about their work and talk about your work and mm-hmm. it could mm-hmm. be as simple as that mm-hmm. I agree and those it's interesting that you mentioned that idea one of the things I was thinking about in terms of something that I'll take away from this show was in one of our early meetings I expressed to Rebecca that I was having some confusion around okay you know this is kind of my, my second show here in Austin how do I continue to present things and ideas that I've worked on in the past and this and working with this material of coal but also introduce something new and explore new territory and she really didn't hesitate and was like you know go wild like don't slow yourself down and just keep creating and keep making and um, explore you know keep exploring and so I think that's something that I'll take away from this show is that idea of just um, like you said, not not pigeonholing yourself, but allowing yourself to constantly be influenced by new things and influenced by new people and new interactions that you have. Wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much to both of you for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'd highly recommend uh, anyone that's able to come visit the work at the gallery. The show is called Source Material, and the gallery is located at the Flatbed Building on MLK in Austin. And there'll be more details on the website for the podcast. All right. Well, thank you both thank so you much. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues and consider giving it a review on iTunes. That could help others find it and motivate them to give it a try. At austinarttalk.com, you can visit each episode's webpage to find links related to the relevant and interesting people, places, and things mentioned by each guest. And thanks to those who have reached out with encouragement and positive feedback. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and take care.